what, what really is man that you would think so highly of us? You stop and look around and you think about all the things that are going on. It just was something that he just couldn't fathom. He couldn't begin to understand. What do you th I mean, how in the world do you think as much about us as you, you claim that you do? And that's really a good question, and it absolutely has a lot to do with what we're going to be discussing uh, this morning, because in survey after survey, the moral issue that concerns the most Americans is the problem of crime. And uh, crime appears to be out of control, and lawmakers are scrambling in their effort to appease the voters, as is evidenced by the things that have been going on recently on Capitol Hill. We read and we hear daily of the crime bill, and the questions that are being raised as to whether it's another bill of goods or just a plain old bill that the taxpayers are going to have to pay for. And as we go through all this, the situation appears to be so desperate that even this past week, our president reverted to praying for the situation. And, uh, and things must be really getting bad. But here's an article that I thought you'd appreciate. The president says the measure, speaking of the crime bill, is his ministry. The Clinton administration said Sunday that its top priority now is to try to ram a defeated crime bill through Congress, blaming the defeat on petty political things and superficial divisions. President Clinton asked 3,000 churchgoers Sunday to pray for the bill's resurrection. Quote, Our ministry is to do the word of God here on earth. And that starts with giving our children and our families a place in it with in it in which at least they can be safe and secure. That's an interesting quote, and uh, we're going to discuss a little bit about it. And what's so interesting about it is that this clear violation of the separation of church and state met with no resistance from the ACLU. There weren't any press releases that were issued by the ACLU. None of the major news networks had much to say about it. And uh, it seems fascinating to me that just a week ago, Vic Fazio, a congressman, lashed out at Christians active in Republican politics, and yet he too was strangely silent concerning this issue. I think it's something we need to remember the next time we start be being the target once again and blasted about Christians in politics and their political affiliations and how what they believe has something to do with what actually they try to implement into law. But needless to say, we live in some very confusing and violent times. I, a recent book that I read not long ago by Bob Vernon, who was the uh, assistant deputy uh, chief of police or the assistant deputy to the chief of police for the city of Los Angeles, said that in his 30 years in law enforcement, he is, he is in utter shock at the almost casual taking of human life. Carjack victims, ATM murders, drive-by shootings, tourist killings. People have lost their moral compass, he says, and there is no sense of right and wrong, and human life is given no value whatsoever. Which introduces us to another current political football and our subject for the day, and that is that uh, we're going to take a look at the death penalty. Our current gubernatorial advertisements focus on the subject of the death penalty, and Kathleen Brown's advertisement claims, quote, and as governor of California, I will enforce the death penalty. Well, that's interesting verbiage. Enforce or endorse or both. Because since it's law, it's real important that our government officials enforce the laws. That's good to know. But it's interesting, the wording of these things. Enforce it or endorse it. 
The debates continue, but unfortunately, crime continues to increase even more rapidly. But the good news is that God has much to say in the Bible about all of human behavior and is very explicit about human behavior that he says is criminal in nature. And he, is, he has his own version of the crime bill, but his is perfect and his is just, and it's never loaded with pork. Get it? Oh, some of you did. The rest are still kind of catch on. That's all right. You can come with us. You just kind of get on this train anytime you want. It's going to go on now for 40 minutes, and you just get on anytime you want. It's okay. So today we're going to focus on the death penalty, and hopefully we'll gain an understanding of God's perspective so that we're better equipped to handle questions that come up in our daily lives with people that we know. For example, one of the questions is, how can you be pro-life and support the death penalty? Isn't that a contradiction? How can you, well, if, if, another question is, if we execute another human being that has committed murder, aren't we just as guilty as them? Good question. And, the, and the, the one question that seemingly comes up every time this topic is brought up is, is the death penalty or capital punishment for capital crimes really a deterrent to, to crime? Is it really a deterrent to crime? Well, it's interesting, the Bible, if you've got one, open it up to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and look at verses 8 through 10 or 8 through 11 for a second because the Bible has much to say about the law. The purpose of it, why God instituted it, and what he, and what he wants to accomplish through it. But the Bible teaches that the law is never intended for the righteous person, but the law is intended for those who are lawless. And man, you know what? This was this was this passage right here. We were at the Rams Raider game last night, and God just brought this passage to light. First <laughs> Timothy one eight through eleven. We read this, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. God plainly teaches that the purpose of the law is to control the lawless and to give us a standard as to what God calls right and wrong behavior. We need a moral compass, and that's what the law is all about. Could you ima- I was just thinking last night, could you imagine living in a world where there were no laws? Could you imagine where there was no restraint of evil, and each person did what was right in his or her own, own sight? It was frightening enough watching what was going on around us at the stadium last night, considering that there are police officers and security guards all over the place. One guy runs out into the middle of the field and he lays down on the 10-yard line and they haul him up and pick him up by his shorts and carry him out. People are beating each other up all night long. It was like, man, it was like lawlessness was, was abounding and the only thing that kept any kind of restraints at all was the fact that there were police officers who were hauling them away as fast as they were beating each other up. And I thought, man, you know what? That's the problem that we have in society today. The problem is, is that we have lost the concept of right and wrong. The problem is, is that we are disobedient to the law, and as a result, anarchy 
follows. Now I want you to think with me for a moment because this is, some, this is a way that you can carry on a conversation intellectually and reasonably with another person concerning the death penalty and give God's point of view without ever quoting the Bible, without ever mentioning that the Bible says it, and without ever saying this is what God's idea is. Because if you're discussing something with another person who does not believe in God, nor the Bible, or doesn't use that as a frame of reference, you need to know how to push their button so that it causes them to begin to think. But let me ask you this question, because this is really the question that comes up. Does a person deserve, ever deserve to be put to death? Interesting question. The question then that you can ask in return is, does a person ever deserve to be punished for their actions? If someone steals from you, do they deserve to be punished for their actions? If they steal from you, do they, does it only seem right that they would pay you back? And if they refuse to pay you back, doesn't only seem right, fair, just, whatever you want to call it, that somehow or another they would have to pay for their actions. Does that only seem fair? Does it only seem right? If you've got two kids that are at school and one beats the other one up for no apparent reason at all and just decides the bully in the class to beat up your kid, does it not seem right that the child who beats up another human being deserves in some way to be punished, whether it's suspended, whether it's whatever the punishment is, but doesn't it seem right, doesn't it seem fair? Then the next question that you ask is, you know what, if somebody kills another human being, does it not seem right and fair that they would be punished in some way for what they've done? The problem is, what is just punishment for the taking of another human being's life. And then you ask him this. How much is your wife worth? How much is your husband worth? How much is your son or your daughter or your mother or your father or your nephew or your niece or your friend? How much is their life worth? And then ask him the last question. Is it possible to have justice without them paying for that life with their life? You see, we need to dig deep and we need to ask some very serious questions because what's happening around us is that the murderer in our society has more rights than the victim. And we ask questions like, do they deserve to die? Do they deserve to be punished for what they did? And what punishment is it fair, is just? Someone takes another person's life, what's just? How much is your children worth or your wife or husband? I mean, think about this. I mean, what is just? And so as we go through this, we need to understand what the Bible has to say about these issues because... The problem that we have in the moral decline of our country is that we very rarely revert back to what the Bible says, even though as a nation we have traditionally used the Bible as the foundation for law and order in our society. Even though our, our country was founded upon the basic tenets of Scripture, and we see the Ten Commandments posted throughout our country in courthouses around the land, and they're slowly being removed because of groups like the ACLU, although all of that is happening around us, this is what we, we were founded upon. And yet we very rarely refer back to it. 
And so we need to look at this and we need to understand that the law, according to Scripture, is perfect, that it's good, that the law that was given to Moses 3,000 years ago, according to Paul in Romans 7:14, he says, we know that the law is spiritual, we know that the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good, and that the law reflects the perfect moral character of God. We know this. And so as a result, we need to look at it, but we need to understand something else. The law cannot change human hearts. But what the law is designed to do is to protect humanity from one another. The law will never make anyone right with God, but it will make us be able to live with one another. The law, according to Galatians, is a tutor that leads us to Christ because we realize that we cannot do everything that God says in the law but it's to confine or constrain evil. So let's take a look at four things. And uh, basically what's going to be is an overview of everything the Bible has to say about this subject of the death penalty. So we're going to kick in an overdrive, and you're going to work hard this morning because we've got a whole bunch of ground to cover in a very short time to do it. But I think it's important that we understand what the Bible says overall. We're going to look at four things. One, we're going to look at what the Bible says about the death penalty before the law was even given. Then we'll look at what the Bible says about the death penalty in the law of Moses. When God handed the law to Moses, what does he have to say in the law? Because we know the law is perfect, that it's good, that it's holy, it's a reflection of the moral character and the justice of God. We'll look at what Jesus said about the, the, uh, the death penalty, and we'll look at the, what the Apostle Paul said. So we've got a whole bunch of ground to cover, but it's going to be worth it because it's going to give us a four biblical perspectives concerning the death penalty. And hopefully it'll put us in a position where we're informed that we know what we believe, we know why we believe it, and, and we can have a conversation with people and challenge them to consider God's frame of reference. So if you've got your Bibles, open it to Genesis chapter 2, and we'll start from the very beginning. What does the Bible say about the death penalty before the law of Moses? Genesis chapter 2. What's interesting, and I think that it's a, pers a perspective that very few of us catch, but the reality of all of this is, in Genesis 2, look at verse 17. God says, you shall not eat from a certain tree of the garden. You shall not eat from the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. And he says in verse 17, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. The day that you eat from it, you will die. According to the Bible, before God actually gave the law to Moses, that the consequence for Adam's sin was that they would die for their disobedience before God. And God counted that as being a just penalty for their sin. Rebellion against God and God's word, the just penalty was death. Not only would they die spiritually, which they did the moment that they ate of the fruit and disobeyed God, but they would also, as a result of their sin, die physically. And in Genesis 3.16, we also read this. I mean, in Genesis um, 3.19, we read this. God, as he enacts this curse upon them, says, By the sweat of your face you will, you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Death is a constant reminder to all of us of the penalty for sin. Death is a constant reminder to all of us for the penalty of sin. The fact that you and I will die physically is an indication that we are already dead spiritually because through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. 
Every person is born into the world dead spiritually. That's why we need to be born again. We need to come alive spiritually. We need to be regenerated by the work of the Spirit of God. We need to trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior because we are dead spiritually, and as a result, we experience the consequence of Adam's actions. So God says, you know what a just penalty for your disobedience is? You're going to die. Oh, that doesn't sound fair. Hey, it doesn't matter what sounds fair. It's what he says, and that's the way that it is. Also, if you notice, the second thing is that it's a curse in the life of those who killed someone. The first murder that's recorded is found in Genesis chapter 4, and in verse 8 we read this, And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. It is a curse in the life of those who killed someone. God cursed them for what he did. He took very serious the act of taking another human being's life, and he cursed them for their actions. The third thing is that God also condemned a whole society because of their rebellion. And if you look at Genesis uh, chapter 6, look at verse 13. Now, all of this occurred before the law was handed to Moses. Genesis 6, 13 and 17, we read this. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. In verse 17, he said, And I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is in the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. God said, You know what? I am so sick of the rebellion of these people that they deserve nothing but to die. Which is fascinating to me, because if you stop and think about what we're talking about, God, what is man that you care so much for us? Who are we that you would send your son to this earth to die for us? Because the heart of man is wicked and deceitful above all else. There is nothing good in any of us. There is none of us that are righteous, that we are miserable, that we're contemptible, that anything that's within us is rotten before God. Our righteousness is filthy rags. There's nothing good in any of us, contrary to all the, hey, I'm okay, you're okay books. God's book says, no, you're filthy mess. There's nothing good in you at all. And he got to a point with this particular society that he said, I'm sick of all of it. I'm going to kill them all. They deserve to die. Well, that doesn't sound fair. It doesn't matter. That's what he said they deserve. You see what God's point of view is? You know what? It's just, hey, you know what in the world? And so he condemned them, and he started all over again. And one of the first things he said to Noah after the flood, the command that he gave in verse 6 of chapter 9 of Genesis, he says this, hey, you know what? Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Why? Because you were created in the image of God. Do you follow that? The very first rule of civilization that he laid down before, after the flood and before the law of Moses, the very first thing he said to Noah was, you know what? There is nothing more precious than human life. You are created in my image and in my likeness and anybody. If we start all over again like we started with Cain and somebody kills someone else, then by man's blood, his blood will be shed. Because we're getting this thing started off right. That's one of the first commands of God to Noah after the flood. 
And I appreciate that as you think about this. Before any oral or written laws came in the form of the law of Moses, God held human life in high esteem, which leads us now to the death penalty and the law of Moses. And it's summed up very simple. Death penalty in the law of Moses, the sixth commandment says, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, very simply, God says, you shall not murder. Okay, we're going to have a quiz on this. You shall not murder. Who shall not murder? You shall not murder. What shall you not do? You shall not murder. There it is. You got it all wrapped up, summed up pretty good. Now, the problem is that people say, well, what's murder? Is living in a society that enacts the death penalty, is that murder? Is living in a society that advocates war and you kill someone in an act of war, is that murder? Well, the answer is absolutely not in both cases. And in fact, if you study scripture, you'll realize that the majority of wars that the nation of Israel got into, God directed him to do it. That there are things that are right, there are things that are wrong, there are still things that are worth fighting for, and there are things worth dying for. Contrary to all these anti, uh, you know, anti-patriotic things that are going on in our country, that there's nothing worth fighting for. On the contrary, there are many things worth fighting for, and when we stop fighting for them, that's when we lose those things. And God said, we'll draw the line. That's not what he's talking about. When he says, you shall not murder, he's saying that you shall not take into your own hands, hands the avengeance the, the or the vengeance of another person's life. If someone kills my wife, it is not my, in my authority and responsibility to kill the person that killed my wife. And I'll explain to you why in a moment. Because God instituted government, and we'll see that in a second, and we'll see how this all plays. But what he's saying is that you cannot avenge the life of another person. I've got a system in place that will take care of that. You shall not murder. Regardless of all the good reasons that you think you should, you shall not murder. So a man who kills a guy who commits abortions is murderer in the eyes of God. Even though he rationalizes and justifies in his own mind why that person deserved to die, God says, wait a minute, two wrongs don't make a right. You shall not murder. That's not my system or my program. And if anything, it makes Christians look stupid. Out of one side, we say one thing. Out of the other side, we do another thing. We're as stupid as the people that we're trying to reach. And so that inconsistency God deals with by saying, no, you don't do that. But he also lays out some things that are really fascinating as you consider that in the law of Moses, God lists very specifically 17 offenses, 17 offenses that God says deserve the death penalty. Let me go through them. Grab your Bibles. We're going to kick it in overdrive. Ready? Number one. The first thing he says very, very simply is this. Exodus 21. You got your Bibles? Look at it. Genesis, Exodus 21. Twenty-one, verse twelve through fifteen. Read it. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint you a place to which he may flee. If, however, a man acts presumptuously toward his neighbor so as to kill him craftily, you are to take him even from my altar that he may die. You know what's interesting about God is he has certain provisions in which our laws today even find their roots. And that is this. God says premeditated murder or the taking of another human being's life willfully and by design deserves the death penalty. Clear and simple. 
He, he allows provisions for self-defense. He allows provisions for accidents. He allows provisions for things that aren't premeditated murder. But he very clearly says, you know what? If you kill somebody and you design a way to do it or do it craftily, then listen, there is nowhere for you to run, baby, and there's nowhere for you to hide. He says, you can't even go into the temple and hide in there because there is no place on earth where you will find refuge for your actions. Do you follow that? Why? And you notice this? He says, you know, if he did this and lies in wait for him, I like this, but if he did not lie in wait, but God let him fall into his hands, which means that even accidents, quote unquote, are under the control of God. Isn't that great? That God knows when an accident occurs that God has allowed it. So he's saying there's reasons behind accidents that happen in society. There's reasons why people die accidentally, quote unquote. It's from our vantage point, not God's, because he knows it. But what he's saying is if you premeditatedly kill somebody and you design it and you plan it, then you deserve to die. Simple. All right? And the reason for it is very, I mean, if you stop and think about it, God creates human life. Men and women are created in the image of God. God controls human life. It's a violation of his authority. And third is God is concerned for human beings. And nothing devastates life more than murder. I read a, an article in the paper the other day that you may remember. And see, this is the problem with murder, is that the longer it's, it, it, we go away from it, the less impact it has on our life. It's, it, it's, it's, it's critical at the moment, and then we move on with our lives, and it's no big deal. And it's deceptive because it allows us to get into the mentality that, oh, this was a big deal today and maybe this week, but it's not a big deal six months from now. But there was a gal in Placentia, her name is Kathy Torres, who was abducted after work, and this is what the article said. Big, bold headlines. There's no way to forget. Her violent death still haunts her family. In the six months since 20-year-old college student Kathy Torres was found slain, her family and community have not been able to forget the violence that touched them. It's changed every one of us in different ways. It's affected us not only because of the fact that we realized that she was taken from us, her mother said, but just that the way that it happened, we can't understand it, and it's senseless. The killer who stabbed her body repeatedly and stuffed her into the trunk of her 1990 Toyota and left it parked in the Placentia Linda Community Hospital parking lot has not been found. The person that takes another human life deliberately deserves to die, and it's just. And the reason that it's just is because it destroys the sanctity of human life and the value that God places on human beings. And we ask ourselves questions. How can we stop this kind of thing from happening? I'll tell you how you stop it. But is it a deterrent to crime? That's not the issue. The issue is, is it just? I don't care if it stops anybody else from killing anybody. It doesn't make any difference from God's perspective. A life for a life. The issue isn't whether it's a deterrent and it stops other people. Obviously, if you murder somebody and you are given the death penalty and you're executed, it's going to stop you from doing it again. Duh. That's not the issue. The issue is a life for a life. Now, here's an interesting one. A second offense is the affliction of widows and orphans. Now, this is fascinating. In Exodus 22, 22-24, we read this. God says, basically, in a nutshell, hey, you know what? If you take advantage of and afflict a widow or orphans, 
Then I, God, will avenge you from heaven. I will take the sword and I will kill you and I will make your family fatherless and your wife a widow and your children will suffer as a result of your foolishness. In a day and age where people are abused and used and taken advantage of, it's so refreshing to see that God still is a protector of the defenseless. And you know what he says? If you go out and you take advantage of some little old widow and you lie to her and you cheat her and you steal from her and you take what she has and you've got some scheme and everything else that's going on in our society today, you know what God said? You scumbag, you deserve to die. I say amen. Would you like your mother being ripped off by some con man? Would you like someone in your family losing their life savings that they worked hard for all of their life by some shyster that comes in with some scheme to take everything from them? No, you see, God is concerned for human beings and he realizes what devastation these things cause. And he says, you know what? I'll avenge you with the sword and I'll kill you myself. We need to understand the moral character of God. That's where we've gone wrong in this society. We think God's some teddy bear and we rub his belly and he gives us whatever we want. That God's Santa Claus somehow or another and that God has to do for us what we ask him to do. We forget that he's, that he's holy, that he's righteous, that he's morally pure and there's no evil in him and darkness at all and he exposes darkness and he sees it for what it is and he calls it for exactly what it is. And we all recognize and know it but somehow or another we, we don't want to hold anybody accountable for anything. He also goes on and he says that, you know what? Kidnapping. You know another reason that people deserve to die? If they're kidnappers. In Exodus 21, 16, God says this. Hey, you know, if you are a person that kidnaps another human being, whether it's to sell them or to hold them for ransom or whether it's just to keep them in your possession, guess what? You deserve to die. We read of stories about little girls like Polly Klaus and a guy that walks into their house and just takes a girl from her bedroom and a slumber party and takes her out and takes her away from her family and her friends and everybody that loves her. Ultimately, he ends up killing this little girl. And we read about things like this and we say, how can we stop stuff like this from happening? God says, I'll tell you how you stop it. Do stuff like that. You execute them. You put them to death. And then everyone in society will realize how valuable human beings really are. I'll, I'll help you understand the value of human life. I'll help you understand my crime bill will deal with crime effectively. And it won't have pork in it. It won't have studies and research. And it won't have all these other things. It's just going to get down to the issue of dealing with crime. And here's how he does it. What a tragedy it is to have someone stolen from their family. What a tragedy in our society today that the pornography industry will kidnap hundreds of thousands of kids and put them into pornographic industry and their friends and family and relatives don't know where they're at and that's exactly where they are. And God says, you want to stop that? I'll tell you how you stop it. I don't care whether you're holding them for your own pleasure or whether you're holding them for ransom, no matter what you do, if you kidnap another human being because of the value of that individual and because of their value before God, you deserve your life to be taken. Number four. Everyone goes, really? <laughs> Number four. The verbal abuse of parents? Well, we better check it. Exodus 21.17 He who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Now, what does God think about kids that talk back? What does he think about the whole problem of having a kid that talks back and mouths off? 
So you better stop it quick. I got a plan. It'll work. <laughs> hey, then never talk back again. I don't mean to make light of this, but I think it's important to understand. See, what God's trying to say is within the heart of every person is rebelliousness. Foolishness, God says, is bound up in the heart of the child and the rod has to drive it far from him. You know, what bothers me about our culture is that we live in a society today where kids are growing up to believe it's their fundamental right to attack and challenge authority. That somehow it's their fundamental right, according to movies and television and the scripts that we see being handed out, that it's funny or cute that some young person in a family will talk back to their mother or their father. God says there's nothing cute about that at all. And in fact, rebellion against a parent, God said, deserve to be, you deserve to die. You know why? Because God says this, children are to obey their parents in the Lord for it is just and it is right. And the reason that they should do it is so they may live long here on this earth. That they will be instilled with a value system that says you need to respect authority. You need to respect your elders. You need to have a value for human life. And that's where it all begins in the home. There is nothing funny about a kid who talks back to their parents and it shouldn't be tolerated by anybody that's trying to teach their children the ways of God. Because if you let it go at home, it's going to go on at school, it's going to go on at work, it's going to go on the rest of their life, and you know what's going to happen? They're going to suffer the consequences of their lawlessness because God has instituted law to keep them under control. God help us to understand God's character and understand what He's trying to get across to us and understand what's not funny to God and what we think is cute and funny. It's not cute and it's not funny. It'll devastate the life of a child and you should not tolerate it. Should they be able to express themselves? Absolutely. But there's a constructive way to do it. And they need to learn the difference between the two. Number five. The prostitution of a priest's daughter, the Bible says, deserved the, pen the penalty of death because of the moral implications, obviously, of the priestly role in his representation before the people as a man and a family of God that represented the way that things were supposed to be in the family of God. God says, not only should they be put to death, but in this particular case, you're to burn them. Whatever. Number six, failing to control a wild animal deserved the death penalty. You know, I love God's word. No, I really do. I love it. You know why? Because we live in a society that this isn't the kind of accountability that people want. God says, you know what? You got a wild animal, and it has a history of breaking free and you don't do anything about it, and it goes out and kills somebody, guess what? The animal and you are going to be put to death. There you go. You know, I, I'm going to quote this. When I go out in air conditioning uh, uh, um, bids and proposals and things, and you go to someone's door, and they got this big old vicious dog, and they always say, don't worry about the dog. <laughs> the, and the first time that someone told me that, and I listened to him, I got bit in the, in the, in the derriere. And... Uh, <laughs> And the whole time I'm thinking, now, what exactly do you mean by not worry? I mean, did it mean it wouldn't kill me and eat me? Or it would just chew me a little while? I mean, I don't understand. But then it's like, well, what God says is, you know what? If you don't control your wild animal, but what he's trying to say is, you are responsible to protect human life. That's what he's saying. Interesting. Number seven, sorcery. Hey, here's one way to get rid of that one 900 psychic infomercial. <laughs> I'm serious. It's like God says, you know what? Anybody 
Anyone that's involved in Exodus 22:18, anyone that's involved in astrology and divination and seances and anything to do with what was actually occultic, God said, don't tolerate it, don't put up with it. Can you imagine? We got newspapers that carry astrology charts. What's my chart for today? Well, you know what? If God had his way, you wouldn't see that chart because there'd be no one in, in, in society that was doing that type of stuff, leading people away from God, saying, knock it off. And not only that, but it has to do with, with uh, drug use as well. The occult and sorcery had to do with drug usage. And I like this because I saw an article. Well, our Singaporean, our Singapore uh, officials, once again, are in the news. The Dutch tried to forestall a Singapore execution. The Dutch government was trying Thursday to stop Singapore from executing a businessman set to become the first Westerner to die under the Southeast Asian nation's strict drug laws. Johans Van Dam could go to the gallows as early as this morning. Van Dam, a businessman for the Netherlands, was arrested at Singapore Airport carrying 9.4 pounds of heroin in September of 1991. 9.4 pounds of heroin, Singapore's 1975 drug law mandates execution for possession of a half ounce of the drug. Whoa. Interesting. You want to stop drug traffic? Why does God hate drug traffic? Why does he hate drugs? Because he loves people. Drugs destroy the lives of people. You know it, and I know it. Drugs destroy human life. God had an answer for it. You want to deal drugs? Then you're going to pay the price. Consider the cost, because if you get caught, you're going to die. Whoa. Number eight, having sex with an animal deserves the death penalty. See, you know what's interesting about this is that there's some things you go on here and say, okay, well, I agree with number one. Every kid in here saying, I don't agree with number four. Number six, I don't care, I don't have a dog or whatever. Number eight, agree with that. You know, we kind of go through. We agree, disagree, agree. It's if somehow this is open for a vote. You know, and it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, well, you guys talk among yourselves, and then you get back to me, okay? You know where to find me. Number nine, idolatry. Deserve the death penalty. Number ten, making up for some time here, goes along with the abuse of parents. How about striking parents? deserves the death penalty. You raise your hand and you hit a parent, you hit your mother, you hit your father, God says that's the last person you'll ever hit in the face of the earth. Man, and we read about elderly abuse. We read about kids that are out of control in homes. They're smacking and hitting their parents. They then go to school and they think they can do it to their teachers or coaches. They think they can do it to fellow classmates. God says, no, you know what? We'll stop this right now. You hit your parent, your history. Number 11, adultery. Adultery. Adultery, God says, deserves the death penalty. Why? Because God loves marriage and he loves family. And nothing destroys marriage and family quicker than someone cheating on their spouse. And what also God says is, you know, and you know what, think about this for a moment. If we enacted the death penalty for adultery, just if we did, no, not how many people would be dead in here now. <laughs> Not asking that. Oh, interesting question, though. 
But the question is, how many people you think would look and think, boy, you know what? This will be fun. How? <laughs> it's a political comment, and uh, I, can't, I can't share that, but you can share it with whomever you want. Um, but you stop and think about this. How many people would leave their spouse if they knew if I left and had an affair, I'm dead? Well, wouldn't marriages be intact today because of this? There's not many people that I know would think, well, this better be good because it's the last time that I'm going to do it. It's like, no, I don't care how good you think it could be. It ain't going to be that good. It's like, that's it? Man, God loves marriage and family and he hates anything that destroys it and adultery certainly does. He says, you commit adultery, you and the person you're having sex with, both be stoned to death, and that'll take care of the problem. And all of Israel was in fear because of that. So it is kind of a deterrent to crime regardless, but you, know, you don't have to bring it up as an argument. How about number 12, incest? Incest. You want to stop all this nonsense going on in our society? I'll tell you what will stop it real quick. Some dad thinks he can get away with abusing his daughter. God says, I see everything that's going on. And when we find out what you're doing and it's exposed, then we're going to put you to death. So you better think about what you're trying to do, buddy. You better think about it, ma'am. You better think about the people that you're sexually abusing. And I'll guarantee you this. It'll put the fear of God in people, and the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It won't happen anymore. Homosexuality, regardless of all those who advocate it as some type of alternative lifestyle, God clearly teaches that homosexuals would be put to death. Plain, simple language. You can't get around it. Number 14, abortion. We saw last time when we talked about abortion that those who caused the premature birth and subsequent death of a woman who was pregnant, God held them accountable for that life and said that for a life, another life would be taken. And you know what just drives me crazy about this? I, we send conflicting messages all the time around us path cleared for abortion pill use let me just fetal tissue research condom promotions to promote teens and unmarried for have, for, to have sex all these things that we see in our society and then we hear our president say our ministry is to do the word of God here on earth and that starts with giving our children and our families a place in which at least they can be safe and secure what about these children what about the 1.5 million children a year that are murdered in our country all under the names of medical technique or procedure? What about the 25 million children that have been murdered in our country? And our ministry here is to protect children and families? Folks, we can't talk out of both sides of our mouth. I agree with them. That is our ministry here. We are here to protect children. We are here to make families a safe place to live but we need to make even those unborn children included in that particular comment. Number 15, rape. Rape. God says, you rape somebody, you deserve to die. Got a great article here about a gal that uh, was raped, and the article is entitled this, From Rape to Suicide, A One-Year Journey. Tragic story of a woman who was raped and for the next year was tormented by it for her, throughout her life and ultimately went out back of her house and hung herself because she couldn't deal with it. God says, you know why I hate rape? And you know why a rapist deserves to die? Because it, it destroys human life. Number 16, premarital sex. Here's one for the Why Wait campaign. 
here's a good reason for you. Why wait? I'll tell you why to wait, because if you didn't wait, God killed you. Well, there you go. Number 17, blasphemy. Cursing God deserved the death penalty. Let me go through. You know what? Let me give you a couple things for homework, because next week I'm going to conclude this whole series, so I don't have time to come back and finish this up. But this is for your own homework. Study this. The death penalty and the teaching of Christ. In Matthew 5, 21 through 26, he said the just penalty for murder was that you, were, that you would be executed, but he dug a little deeper and said the root problem of murder is uncontrolled anger. So he challenges us to recognize what the root problem was, but he never criticized the death penalty. He never criticized the Roman government for putting people to death. He never said it was wrong for government to institute acts against human beings that committed other acts against human beings that were criminal in nature. God supports the institution of government, and whatever is just determined by that government is just before God, as long as it lines up with the Word of God. The death penalty in the teaching of the Apostle Paul said the same thing. Romans 13.4 talks about government officials. They are instruments, God's servants, to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He, a minister of God who is in government, is God's servant and an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Why is the death penalty right? Because it upholds the value of human life. Why is the death penalty right if it's enacted within the government? Because there's constraints and there's a procedure and there's due process of law. What God's saying is you will not put anyone to death unless there's the testimony of two or more witnesses. So there are specific considerations to protect us from someone saying, you did this, now you deserve to die. But there's due process of law. Let me kind of conclude everything. Just bear with me for five minutes because I want to put together everything that we learned last week on the right to life and combine it with this whole problem of the death penalty in our culture. And let me just kind of sum it all up. Application. God creates human life. Human life has value and worth because we're created in the image of God. Regardless of age and appearance and abilities and illness or physical handicaps, every human being is, is worthwhile before God, has value and worth. People are more important than animals and plants. Human life is sacred and should never be taken other than by other human beings except by due process of the law and through government. Abortion is murder, plain and simple. God loves people and he for, continues to forgive sin, but we, underst we must understand that there's a price to be paid for our actions. We need to respect authority. We need to honor their position as established by God. We need to be willing to testify and speak up whenever we're an eyewitness to any criminal action that we see. We need to take the risk of being involved because it's right before God. We need to vote for judges and politicians who stand for law and order and believe in the death penalty as proper punishment for at least murder in our, in our society, at least start somewhere. We need to urge public schools and institutions to display and promote the Ten Commandments again. It's a bunch of nonsense. Being held at the mercy of the ACLU is telling our court systems to remove the Ten Commandments. How foolish that is. That's the foundation for all of, all of moral law and code. We need to speak up and say, wait a minute. If we don't have the Ten Commandments, at least as a basis, then what moral standard do we have? What is right? What is wrong? What's going to control evil in our society? You're sick of crime. I'm sick of crime. Kids are out of control. Everyone on the streets afraid to walk the streets. Yet we don't want to do anything about it. We don't want to be hurt. We need to open our mouth. 
and let people know the law is right and we need to understand that God's laws which require the death penalty for certain sinful actions we need to understand that even when people think it's foolishness or unreasonable we need to understand why God says that it is reasonable why it is right it's not a matter of a deterrent it's a matter of justice it's a matter of doing what is right we need to understand that we need to realize that the law can't save or redeem anybody that good law-abiding citizens will go to hell when they die if they do not trust and put their faith in Jesus Christ as a provision for their sin. Being a law-abiding citizen and a good person all of your life who is still dead in their sins, God says you will go to, into hell for eternity unless you trust Jesus Christ. We need to understand the only thing that will curb crime in our culture and around the world is that we need changed hearts. We need changed hearts. We need to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We need to be born again by the Spirit of God so that He can create within us a new heart, one that is righteous before God because of Jesus Christ's death, but one that is sensitive to God in order that we do what's right before God. You see, God's people are the ones who need to set the pace as far as being law-abiding citizens. We need to honor God by honoring laws that do not violate the Scriptures. We need to understand that there are still some things that are right and wrong in society and promote that. Last week we went and saw the movie Clear and Present Danger. And as, there's one particular scene that I like and I want to sum everything up because Harrison Ford, who plays a character named Dr. Jack Ryan, walks into this office and there was an aide that says, you know what, well, aren't you the Boy Scout? Because Harrison Ford and his character was going to turn in these guys and expose them for their actions. And he said, well, aren't you the Boy Scout? He says, you know what your problem is? Everything you see, you see in black and white. And his character said, no, not in black and white, but in right and in wrong. And as he was walking out the door, the guy who was talking to said, you know what, Jack, you'll find out, just like I did, that you know what, things aren't right and wrong, things aren't black and white, but things are really gray. You know what? Not according to the Word of God. Things are right and things are wrong. And God clearly and explicitly reveals what those are to us for the purpose of his people being moral leaders in our culture and being used by God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of it. God, help us to see and not be flippant as far as the execution of those who would be found guilty of murder in our culture. We should never take joy or rejoice in the execution of any criminal, but it should be a solemn and sober occasion to be reminded of the sanctity of all human life. God, as your people, we need to make this world more aware of how important human beings really are. We need to expose the foolishness in our culture that has led to anarchy and chaos and help them to see that God's laws are moral, that they're just, and that they're right. God, help us to help those see that the things that trouble the heart of God are the things that are troubling the hearts of every human being that is a law-abiding citizen, that wants what's right in society and wants to be free from the callous criminal actions of others. Help us to see that God has a solution and his crime bill is perfect. God, help us to see that what you have established is right and morally just. God, help us to develop hearts that are sensitive as yours is to what's right and to what's wrong and to be people that are obedient in our own personal lives 
so that we can then impact the lives of those around us. And we thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Next week.